0: So we we carry on this, um, looking through the, the life of Joseph. We took a break uh, last week. Now, if you if you play a musical instrument, you start playing a mu- mu- musical instrument like the piano, for example, uh, obviously you end up playing, well, the aim is to play musical pieces, songs, whatever genre that you might be interested in doing that in. But the first thing, of course, you have to do when you want to learn a musical instrument like that is is learn the 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 notes, the notes of the of the piano. Uh, you learn very often. Instrumentalist will learn something called scales, and that's just a series of notes that you play in a certain order. And um, you you they do this over and over again because you want to become familiar with like the pattern of this instrument. And you know, essentially, you find out that when you start playing songs and stuff like that, that those songs are basically. Just a combination of, of those notes, those, every song that you, you play can be broken down into these, these basic notes, these patterns that you've learned, and then, you know, you, you do them with a bit more complexity. In a sense, that's, that's uh, what I, I want us to see the life of Joseph as in these past few weeks, that it, it's, it's, it's a pattern, it gives us a pattern uh, for how to learn something of how God works in the world. You know, um, to to learn something of how God interacts with us, how God deals with us, when we find ourselves in certain complex points in life, in different areas in life, we we see how God is working in the life of 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 Joseph. We pay attention to the patterns of God's um, movement. We pay attention to what God is revealing about Himself, and then we find comfort and wisdom, so that when we find ourselves in similar challenges, phases in life, we respond as Christians. Of course, even greater than that, the life of Joseph itself, life of Joseph himself is is working according to a bigger pattern, uh, the pattern of uh, God's love for his son, God's desire to magnify his son, Jesus Christ. So Joseph is pointing us to Jesus Christ. Joseph, things are happening to Joseph in line with um, uh, God's desire to magnify his son, Jesus Christ. And so uh, I've, I've been hoping that we could do that. And so the first uh, week or so of this series, we looked at Joseph um, as, a, as a victim. And we learned from um, what happened with, with, with Joseph and when he was uh, basically kidnapped, as Joseph says, by his brothers. We, we learned that, you know, God's people... Uh, can be can be victims and can suffer innocently, and how you know God is not uh, God God is not uh, unaware of that. God is not surprised by that. Even even though God is in control and God loves us, we can suffer as as victims, and we, we saw that. And then the last time I preached on on this, we we looked at how even though God loves us and when God is in control of our lives, we can still go through temptation. Right? We saw Joseph in. In, in in Potiphar's house and we saw the evil that befell him there and and primarily we saw how God's people still have to face temptation in this world. Our Lord Jesus had to face temptation when he came into this world and so we will have to face temptation and that's, we, we, we see that God allows for that, allows us to go through that and facing temptation does not mean that we're not God's children. Well, this morning um, I mean the, the Joseph is still in a in a kind of test. So last week we looked at last time we looked at him facing temptation, and uh, of course, if you remember, he ended up being thrown into prison for for, for doing nothing. He was innocently he was thrown into prison, and um, and so Joseph is still in a place where he's he's just he's facing a lot of trials. He's he's facing testing. You know, in the in the scriptures, there's a there's some some overlap between how the word for temptation and and trial is is used um, temptations are not the same thing as trials because temptations are always about you know a seduction to do evil to do to, to commit sin but um, a temptation is always a trial it's not the same thing but it, it, it is always a trial and and trials often lead to can 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 lead us lead to us facing temptation so Joseph has gone from facing temptation to being in this place where he's tested he's being. Tested because he's in prison, um, suffering innocently. Um, everything seems to be to be going wrong for him, and you know this is a trial of life. And I think ultimately, what we learn by the time we get to the end of chapter 40, and this is what I want you to 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 get from the sermon today, um, is that there are times in life that God will bring us through testing and allow us to go through things. I don't. I'm not saying that it's just one phase or period of your life. I'm saying that. Very often, in the rhythm of the Christian life, we find ourselves in places where where God allows us to go through trying times so that we may learn how to hope in Him alone, learn how to find comfort in Him. So, a a crucial, uh, a crucial, crucial lesson for the believer to learn, a crucial attitude for the believer to possess is to to know that God wants us to learn to be able to, in a sense, isolate him and say this is our only hope, our only comfort. And that some, sometimes God, you know, we, we don't learn that so quickly. We, 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 we seek other things to be our comfort. But those things are not sufficient, they're not enough. And so God strips us of those things so that we can truly learn that the only comfort we have in this life is in God. Um, and I think that's perhaps maybe... Uh, the lesson that Joseph learned at this point. You know that when I read the the last uh, verse I read in in that chapter, chapter 40, so so kind of poignant was the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him, right? And Joseph was forgotten of men. So, yeah, and and that's what we see in this passage. Now, quickly, as far as the text is concerned, we saw last week Joseph was thrown into prison because of Potiphar's wife who accused him falsely. And so from verse uh, 21 of chapter 39, the, the, the author starts to tell us about Joseph's experience in prison. So this is Joseph in prison, in chains. Um, and he, But he first tells us, of course, that Joseph continued to be faithful in prison, as I'll stress late, later on, and continued to kind of have good success in prison. He tells us that early on. Even in this, you know, very, very soon, he began to have responsibilities just because it was noticed how uh, faithful a guy was. Funny enough, that might actually be because the person who threw him into prison, Potiphar, kind of knew that Joseph was a was, was still a good guy. Um, and, and maybe that actually just thought, yeah, actually, actually, I know this guy can be trusted. I had him for years. He had to. He did what he had to do because he, you know, didn't want to offend his wife too much, and so on. I, I, I get the sense that he didn't quite believe her, but it was her word against Joseph's. Um, don't ask me why I think that. That's I think he's there anyway. Um, so Joseph continues to be faithful, um, and then whilst he's in prison, this thing happens where Potiphar, Pharaoh, the, the, the king of Egypt, has two of his own officials thrown into the same prison as. As Joseph, so Joseph is about to be sharing, sharing a prison, even serving, attending to these guys have close proximity with ser- you know top officials. Now, some of you maybe you go to, I know you don't want to go to, you don't want to go to prison to make connections. Some of you go to a fancy restaurants hoping that you bump into, um, bump into someone who has connection, or you you go for some kind of, you go for some event, you want to make network, you want to network. You don't want to go to prison to, you know, to make the connection, but these guys are in prison. Joseph actually sees that there's an opportunity here to make a, some networking that will get him out of here, possibly, I mean, at some point he sees that. As you know, they have these dreams. Joseph being a dreamer boy and a man who has a gift for interpreting dreams, sees this, God has given me an opportunity to interpret dreams for these big officials who may get me out of prison. And he, 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 he wants to take advantage of that. He actually interprets right the dreams for them fairly accurately you know that, that that brings me to think about dreams as well the story of Joseph is full of of dreams and, and I was I wonder if you ask yourself I think it's easy to read Joseph and say oh okay well this, the story of Joseph the life of Joseph teaches me that dreams are are very important what role do the dreams have in the life of Christians I'll say this rather briefly you're not Joseph right so, so don't it's unlikely that you're Joseph um, so don't make too much, don't make so much of your dreams, um, but by the way, this is talking about dreams that you have at night when you're sleeping, don't let nobody ever preach something else to you and say, oh, this is talking about your dreams, you know, your dream, you can achieve your dreams, that's not what Genesis is talking about, Genesis is talking about that stuff that happens when you sleep, and you, you know, you see stuff in your sleep, and you, you have these dreams, I think in the Bible, God at points di- directs his people through dreams, you think of, of jo- Joseph, you think of the other Joseph, right, the, the father, the one who's who's like a, a guardian to Jesus Christ. He has a dream, warned in a dream. Um, but it, but but they're unique times, they're unique ways of God revealing His, you know, very significant purposes. So I think we have to be very careful before we draw a straight line and say because God spoke to His people in dreams, He speaks to us in dreams. I know some of you dream a lot. Um, I think just let God's word direct you and guide you more than anything. Um, God is God is great. God can do what He wants. And you, you may, you may think, yeah, no, God is speaking to me in a dream. But so important that you depend on God's word, and not so much on some dream you have, because many people dream. Most times, God is not speaking to people in their dreams. I mean, me personally, yeah. If I dreamt on my way here this morning that I was going to have a car accident to church on the way to church, if I dreamt I had a car accident on the way to church, I would have come to church, regardless. The same A12, because I'm not Joseph. I'm not going to interpret the dream. I'm just going to. I might pray. I pray for safety, but. A twelve. Here we go. You know, so um, so just be, just be. I think depend more on God's word. Um, Christians get caught up in stuff where people are trying to tell them what dreams mean. And you know, some churches is all about dreams and visions. Dangerous. I remember growing up in church, the amount of people that dreamt that so and so was their, their their spouse to be, right? Some of the. I remember someone a particular case where someone dreamt that so and so was their spouse, but so and so was actually taken, like seriously engaged. And this person was so convinced that, like, no, I know what I saw in my dream. Yeah, dear, dear indeed. So, um, you you see, just be be, be very careful about what you make of dreams. God can guide your future. Just one more thing about that. You you know, in this story, one person, the butler, has a dream. Joseph interprets it and says, listen, you're going to have, Pharaoh's going to restore you. He he threw you into prison because he was offended with you but he's actually going to restore you. that's what your dream says and then the writer in Genesis says the other person the baker he heard this good interpretation and said oh wow can't wait to tell you my dream uh, and Joseph said well, actually your dream is saying that your Joseph is, um, Pharaoh is going to is going to kill you all right um, it's not so much it wasn't it's not the dream that's important as much as it is knowing that God has our future in his hands and trusting him and you don't have to be, basically, I don't think you ever have to be worried that because you don't pay attention to a dream, you're going to miss God's plans for you. I don't think you ever have to worry about that. I think you can be a prayerful Christian, trust God's word, um, and God will lead you that way. So anyway, uh, but dreams do play a big part in, in, in how God chose to direct Joseph. God can do what he wants. Anyway, Joseph interprets these dreams, um, thinking that they're going to get him out of prison. They don't quite do that, right? They uh, as I said, they, he was forgotten in prison. Even the guys he helped with, with their dreams and so on, they forget him. Uh, and, and, and I said, I think that's God trying to teach Joseph and us how ultimately we have to hope in him alone in all time. So let me draw attention to uh, just the three things I will say about the narrative this um, morning. I really, and I'm, I'm really uh, wanting to arrive at that final point I've just made God um, we must find all our, our hope in, in God. We must place our hope in him alone. First thing I will say is, as I've been saying all these past few weeks, but it's worth noting, that Joseph is a favored man. So this is Joseph um, in prison. This is Joseph with all the trials, the difficulties fa- is facing. But over and over again, the writer, the author, and the Holy Spirit wants us to know that even though Joseph is facing all these things, he is loved of God, he's God's he's called of God. God cares for him. Joseph's trials are not a sign. Joseph's losses are not a sign that God hates him in the slightest. In fact, they're happening to him as the one God loves. So Joseph is favored. The second thing I want us to see is that Joseph is frustrated but faithful, right? Joseph's trials frustrate him, and it's okay for us to be frustrated by the by, the, by, by some of the things that we grieve and, and go through. He's frustrated but faithful. And lastly, that he's forgotten by men, but not forsaken. He's forgotten but not forsaken. First thing then, Joseph is favored. Again, similar introduction that we've seen, you know, quite frequently in the, book of, in, in the story of Joseph. So if you go to verse 21, Joseph has been thrown into prison, falsely accused. He is a foreigner in a land... He's a foreigner in this land that he doesn't know much of. Um in, fear, in every single way it would seem. But over and over again, you know this kind of thing has been stressed. Verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph. Again, verse 23, last sentence there, because the Lord was with him. God is with Joseph and God favors him. God favors him. In particular, at this point, the writer explains that, expresses that by saying Joseph experienced God's steadfast love. God showed him steadfast love. Um, and also by highlighting that Joseph was promoted because God was with him. Although he's in prison, very soon his ability, his faithfulness is seen. And and he there's a favor, favorable disposition towards him. He's elevated to the highest rank in prison. Okay, it's not, you know, you don't want to be in prison. But even then he can see God promoting him. God is with Joseph. He's favored of God. God loves him. And this, you know, that we must um, not... not uh, Carelessly bypass that, that 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 word, that phrase that is used to explain how God is relating to Joseph. God shows him steadfast love. It is a it's a it's a English translation. I like that translation, steadfast love, because probably it, it it's it's attempting to capture what is a very hard word to pin down its meaning. Uh, it's a it's a well known I mean yeah well known word amongst. Uh, Bible students and so on, it translates a Hebrew word called hesed, and very often, over 200 times in the Old Testament alone, you have this word hesed being spoken of as how God relates to his people. And has sometimes translated at other points in our Bibles as mercy, kindness, um, compassion, and so on. But it kind of captures this idea that God is steadfastly devoted to loving his people. He f- loves them unfailingly. So, so the, the, the writer of the, of the book of Genesis is saying to us, God loved Joseph in and through his imprisonment. God loved him then. Even though he's in prison, he is the subject of God's love. God loves Joseph. Joseph could be stripped of everything stripped of everything that we think gives people identity in this life. He's in prison. No one believes his word. No one believes what he's saying. He can seem as, ins- as insignificant as they come, but he's actually loved by God steadfastly as well. God has a particular care and concern for Joseph. And no matter what we go through as God's people in this world, if we have trusted Jesus Christ, something like that is true of us. Jesus loves us unfailingly. He always loves us. And in a way, God loves us. We can say, if we're Christians, if we're trusting in Jesus, we say God loves us in a way that he doesn't love others. He loves us in a way that he doesn't love the world. Jesus prayed for us in a way that he didn't pray for the world. God has loved us and of course the the great measure of that is that he sent his son to die for us on calvary and god sometimes strips us to the day when we realize that the only thing that we have in this world is the confidence the knowledge that jesus died for me jesus was slain for me he loves me he gave his life for me steadfast love God strips us to the point where we realize you can take everything away from us, but you can't take away the finality of Calvary. You can take everything away from us, but you cannot take away the love that was displayed at Calvary. And that's why we we often sing here and we often pray that God will help us to understand more and more of what happened at the cross. Lead me, we sing sometimes here, at Calvary. Lead me there. Teach me what it means. Open my eyes to see what it means that Jesus has died for me. Because that's the only way we can be assured of this unfailing love of God, even when everything around us seems to fail. Even when we fail, when we're failing bodily or mentally, we are failing. But God's love does not fail. Steadfast love. And it's not without token. It's with token here, right? One of the, the token here is that God promotes him, and very often we see that even in the times when things are difficult for us, we see how God is loving us, and so He's caring for us. He's protecting us from evil. He's He's promoting us. Maybe He's He's given us um, He's uh, He's given us favor. Although, and I'll say this and, and move on from this point. Although someone, uh, one commentator on this passage suggests that maybe the the, the, the statement saying God showed him steadfast love might indicate to us the kind of person Joseph was. Because of how, and this is a true point, how frequently the steadfast love of God is the confession of the praying people of God. So the book that contains this statement of God's steadfast love the most in the Bible is the are Psalm, the Psalms. I know the Psalms are full of the praying of God's people. So that there's something, some kind of connection to be made between the man and the woman who experiences the fullness of that steadfast love and the man and the woman who prays. Sometimes in our time of testings, we're not praying as we ought to, calling God to comfort us, calling on him uh, to strengthen us. Uh, but either way, the point is then that uh, Joseph was, was favored. Even in his testing, he was favored of God. And God wants you and I to know that when we go through trials, and we're going through stuff, we have to remember that we are—we're we're beloved of God. God has loved us, and that's—that's—that's—that's uh, that's, that's, uh, that's our strength. That's our hope. So Joseph was favored, but he was also—he was frustrated but faithful. So Joseph is favored, but he's in prison it's not where he wants to be. Joseph I believe he's 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 aware. He's convinced of God's love for him, but he also is aware of the injustices he's facing. He also is aware of wasted time, wasted opportunity, limited opportunity, wasted ability. He's aware of all of that. Because he's in prison. And that's that's partially what's behind his attempts to help these officials these big boys right the, the the by every indication for example the, the cupbearer, the butler he seems like a butler but by every indication he probably was a kind of person and because of the kind of relationships that maybe the rulers of that time will form of someone so close to them he's, he's probably someone who the the, the 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 king invested a lot of in trust in and he, he was very close to the king and he could have certain, Conversations with the king that just not everyone else could have, even though we just called him a butler here. And, um, and so, at the end, you, you know, Joseph says, as he's interpreting the dream, "Remember, give a good word for me, because you have connections." And the reason is Joseph does not want to be here. Why would he? You know, initially, when the cupbearer and the baker are introduced, we're told in verse five, sorry, verse uh, two, Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, and he put them in custody. They they had done something wrong, it would seem. But you contrast that with Joseph who had been put in here innocently. And he he says as much later on in verse 14, only remember me when it is well with you and please do do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. I've not done anything to be here. I don't deserve to be here. Joseph was aware that he was an innocent man suffering. And maybe to some extent, he can't actually make sense of these years that he's wasting behind bars. Maybe he doesn't fully understand it. You know, he can't see the future yet. And he's he's experiencing sorrow. And there's nothing wrong with us being frustrated by the failures that we experience in this world. By our pain, by our stagnancy. By our dashed hopes. You know, there's something I thought I would have at this point in my life I don't have. Um, by how people mistreat us. By by just the the, the if you want to the, the bitter providences, the bitter things that happen to us. Sometimes some of you you're in a cycle where it's bad news after bad news after bad news. And Christians, Christians have always been had enough purity to be able to lament and to be frustrated by their pain. Remember, uh, one of the prayers of the Scriptures would say, how long, Lord, how, how long do we have to go through this? How long do I have to experience this? We can be frustrated by a broken world. The Bible says the world itself is groaning, is frustrated. Our Lord Jesus Christ was expressed his own frustration at having to bear the weight of God's wrath. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Indeed, if we are living in confident hope, uh, in in expectation of God's hope, there will be a sense in which we're always feeling frustrated by our life in this world. There's always been a frustration, a frustration with our own sinfulness, a frustration with the unrighteousness in the world, a frustration with the evil in the world a frustration with the imperfection that is in the world. Joseph was frustrated and it's, it's, a, it's, it's not a Christian thing to deny that things leave us feeling sad and sorrowful and that we are frustrated. There's nothing Christian about it. We, we, can, we can confess as Christians that I really wish I had gotten that. I really wanted to have achieved that. I really had wish God had given me that desire. It, it hurts me that I don't have that we can be frustrated, but the unique thing about the Christian and about Joseph here is that though he's frustrated, he is faithful. Very often, our frustrations with the world, with life, act as a barrier to faithfulness. When we start to feel frustrated about how God is kind of mapped out our lives, we feel like God hasn't given us something that we thought He would have given us. We think, feel like God has allowed us to experience certain kinds of Injustices that we've been treated unjustly. And we feel weighed down by these things and we almost might see it as an excuse for not being faithful. But it's not the case with Joseph. Of course he's in pain. He doesn't want to stay in this prison. He would love to leave. But whilst God is kept in there, Joseph continues to be faithful. He continues to... Bless God for his steadfast love. Joseph is the kind that says, I, I don't understand everything, but I, I trust you. And, and I will, all I can do is continue to trust you. And that's shown in his faithfulness. He didn't let these circumstances dictate what he believed about the goodness and faithfulness of God. And that's kind of like what it means to wait on the Lord. I know that has, to wait on the Lord does involve the posture of prayer, but it also involves being faithful when everything is not going according to plan for us. Being faithful whilst we're frustrated. Joseph continued to walk in, in righteousness. So this man has been thrust into prison um, unjustly. But in the prison, they can't help but notice the forthrightness of this man. The purposefulness, the, the integrity. Before you know it, right, he's... Elevated to such high points in the prison. That's because Joseph continues to be a faithful man. He continued to testify to the greatness of God. You know, one of the when the when the baker and the cupbearer come to him and say, "Can you? We're troubled because we don't know how to interpret these dreams." You know what Joseph says, right? "Do not interpretations belong to God?" Joseph is probably dealing with the fact that these men, as pagans, probably thought that dreams belonged to uh, idols and they probably involved involved themselves in all kinds of, um, uh, you know, magic and, and divination and false spirituality. And Joseph comes and he almost declares that the God of Israel is the true God. Interpretations belong to God. In his most frustrated point, Joseph is still confessing the goodness of God. He's still living in such a way um, that... People can see in him that he has all this hope in God. Imagine calling God the God of all interpretations, while Joseph is keenly aware that right now he's unable to interpret what's going on in his own life. But he still proclaims the goodness, the faithfulness of God. We have to be careful not to fall into the temptation of allowing periods of frustration to equal periods where we can no longer praise God and, and, and testify to the goodness of God and live in such ways that commend the gospel. He continued to serve others. That's another thing that we lose when we're frustrated. When we're frustrated, we often lose the desire to serve other people. We become so absorbed with self and with our own pain that we almost feel like it's not right for us to have to care for others. But you know, Joseph is in prison, frustrated at his his existence, if you want, and still has the time to see these officials and say, well, why do you look so so he sees their 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 constitution he he sees the the look on their faces he the demeanor he says, "You guys look sick, you're broken hearted uh, and 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 he he generally is compassionate of course he eventually probably thinks there's also an opportunity for him to make a way out of prison, but he's generally concerned for these these men and he helps them with their dreams he he serves with compassion he serves with his gifts, and very often when we are going through Trials, when we are feeling frustrated about things in life, is when we are tempted to stop serving others, is, is when we s- start finding it hard to rejoice with someone else because um, we are not experiencing the same good that we, uh, th- that we wish we, we had. We, we find it hard to make time for other people because we become so absorbed trying to solve our situation. Uh, but there's never a time for the Christian to stop loving people, to stop serving people. And although we do go through phases in life where we're, we're just way down, where we're struggling, where things hurt us, that's true, we must never forget that we're still called to, to speak a good word to people. We're still called to be hospitable. We're still called to be kind. We're still called to give and to expend our energy. I'm not saying that you don't have to take care of yourself. You do. You do have to you have to be realistic about your capacity, and of course, when we're going through certain trials, our capacity reduces. for whatever reason, it could be you know you're going through a sickness, you don't have the same energy, of course, that's un- I understand that. But um, there's never an excuse not to be not to realize you're calling to love people, and we must we must learn the art of knowing how to be frustrated, having our own issues and still loving others. You you know how frequently people say, I have my own issues, man, right? They say, listen, I couldn't even listen. I I got my own issues. I hear that. You have your own issues. Um, But I think there's something about finding comfort in God that allows us, helps us to help people with their issues while we have our own sense of faithfulness. Oh, Jesus Christ is our example in that, brothers and sisters. We we look to Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Um, the, The scriptures say everywhere he went, He was doing good. And yet, he was, in a sense, born to die. He was bearing upon him the frustrations, the weight of this world's sin, the agony of having to bear the wrath of God. But it didn't stop our Lord from always doing good, uh, seeking to be faithful while we are frustrated. Um, It's a gift of God, really. It's a grace of God um, that he gives to his children. So Joseph was... Frustrated, but he was faithful. And lastly, he was forgotten, but he was not forsaken. It's a kind of profound summary to the, the chapter. We read this chapter, and all that's happened is Joseph is imprisoned. It would seem like there was an opportunity for him to actually get out of prison because he'd been, you know, in God's providence, these, these, uh, these two men had come into his prison cell, his prison house, and well, it a great opportunity. But as verse 23 makes very clear, chapter 40:23, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, and the author doubles down and says he forgot him, right? He forgot him. So to some degree, Joseph had hoped to be able to engineer his own freedom. Joseph had thought, you know what? I might be able to undo my frustrations. I might, be able to, I might be able to do something to relieve myself of these frustrations. I might be able to kind of like save myself at this point, help myself. I'm not actually criticizing Joseph for, for that. I don't think there's anything wrong with us trying to ease our burdens, you know? And, you know, we, we, we kind of like use practical means to try and solve our situations. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but ultimately, God had chosen to use this as an instance to teach Joseph, I think, that you ultimately cannot rely on people. You ultimately can't put your trust in man. Your ultimate hope has to be in God. It's a kind of, it's a, it, it, it was a, I won't, I, I, don't, I won't call it harsh, but it was a really stern way by which God taught this man this lesson. It, Joseph had to have been thinking, this is of the Lord that he has brought this, these two men into my prison. It's of the Lord that I have this opportunity to share these dreams with them. It's of the Lord that they're going to be in Pharaoh's birthday in a matter of days, and surely he must have been so convinced that this would be his way out. These men would be the ones who would free me, um, but God had chosen at this point to teach Joseph the lesson that it was not men who could free him. It was—it's not people who can provide you the comfort you need. It's only God he can only put your trust. In God. And there's few things, I'm sure, as painful as that for Joseph to realize that the people he helped forgot him. Um, yeah, there's few things as painful as knowing that people can change on you or that people can forget you, right? Especially when you've been good to them. He's been good to these men in the past, and now, you know, you, you think one good turn deserves another. And that kind of rejection is painful. But this is exactly what happens with people, like human beings, men and women. You cannot put your confidence in them. They are by their fallen nature fickle. We are, we don't, we, 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 are we, we don't have as much as integrity. We are weak. People are sometimes bitter. People sometimes just don't have capacity. People are just people. And we should never think that we can put all our trust In mortal man, people just like ourselves. Don't you know yourself? And and, and God had to teach Joseph this lesson. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that we should never have people that we trust. I'm saying we should never put our ultimate trust in anybody. Of course, you should have people that you trust. Some of you trust. You should trust your parents. If you don't trust your parents, that's a broken down relationship. You have best friends or your good friend because you trust them. You find a spouse because, and you want to be able to trust this person. Of course, we should have a, There's a certain level of trust that you should expect from people, but you should never put ultimate trust in anyone. You should never think there's someone that does something for you where you say, this person will not fail me. It just doesn't happen. You just can't do that. They're human. And I'm not saying that we should, we should be happy to be the kind of person that people can't trust. Someone said, I cannot trust that person to, to come through for me. We shouldn't be happy to be like that. We should, des- we should be desire to be faithful friends, faithful uh, comforters. We should desire to be there for others. But uh, you can't put your trust in people. And when I say you can't put your trust in people, I'm not saying that you should be the kind of person that wants to be you want to do everything by yourself. You don't want to ask people for help. I don't think that's a, it's a godly thing. Very often, we don't ask others for help because of our pride, not because of how much we trust God. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. Neither am I saying that we shouldn't hold people accountable. Yes, human beings are fickle, but we should expect people to be faithful to us. We can hold people accountable and say, you let me down there. But when all is said and done, there comes a time in life we must learn that lesson. You don't put all your hope in another person, another man. It's the the repeated testimony of the Scriptures. Don't put your trust in man or princes, not chariots or horses. You put all your trust in God. The best of people may fail you. You have to learn the lesson that only God will not fail you. And and you know what? This, This allows us to be gracious. When you realize that human beings cannot carry all your hopes, it really allows you to be more gracious to them. Because there's a part of you that can then understand when people let you down. Because you haven't put all your hope in them. It allows us to be free and not to feel like we have to put all our hopes in people. You know, when you put all your hopes in people, you kind of become enslaved to them. A woman turns this guy to the, um, the center of her life. She loves him with everything in her, every fiber of her being. Blindly, she's put all her trust in him. And all of a sudden, things become exploitative, and she follows every word he says. And her whole life is attached to him, and he controls her emotions, her feelings, her heart, and everything, because she's put all this confidence. She's enslaved to him. Some of us, we put all our confidence in someone who has connections for some work or something. we we, We don't know it. We're not saying it, but implicitly, we're really placing all our hopes in this person's Influence This person's power. We do that with rich people. We do that with celebrities. We, we want their clout. And we're so happy to be attached to them. And they know that, so they start to control you. Right? They start to wield authority over your life because they know that you, you're finding your sense of identity in, in them. Saying, I don't put my trust in any man allows me to be free To live for God alone allows me to be indebted to God alone. At one sense, it's an issue of worship. Who am I placing all my trust in? But God knows how prone we are to walk by sight and not by faith. So I think often what God does is he strips us of that confidence. That false confidence that we put in men. He allows things to happen to us. He allows things he allows people to do things to us. Um, he allows people... Listen, and, and again, it's not always a crisis. And people just don't always have the capacity. Sometimes you're bearing the kind of sorrow or agony. You just know there's not much someone can do for me here. Only God can help me. But God strips us of that uh, so that we don't put our confidence in men. We put all our trust in him. So Joseph was forgotten of men. And he must have learned that lesson. But of course, I think ultimately God wants Joseph to learn a greater lesson. The only person who you can know will always be there for you is your God. It's God's steadfast love that never ceases. And there's very often nothing more beautiful, uh, nothing more uh, suited to show us the beauty of God's love than the backdrop of man's failing. In the reality that men and women had forgotten him, Joseph realizes his only hope is in his God. The steadfast love of God never ceases. All these men can turn their back on Joseph, but God never lifts. Uh, God's goodness has not been lifted from his child. Joseph would learn the lesson, the only one who never forsakes us is God. That's the lesson that we must learn in life. That no matter what happens, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ will never forsake us. So the writer to the Hebrews says, I, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And when those time, times come, when a time comes when people have turned their back on us, when the people who we trusted so much have failed us, It's the important time to remember that God does not forsake his people. God doesn't forsake us. And God has ensured that we know that by being willing, in a sense, to have forsaken his son. Jesus Christ wept and cried, why have you forsaken me? To ensure that we can be sure that God would never forsake us. Jesus will never leave us and i have to say that to the christian you know there's sometimes let me give you a, an example illustration there are sometimes that christians do things that means other christians abandon them right there are times that christians do things that mean they can't even find comfort from the church rightly or wrongly but if that person is a christian i would have to say to them your savior will never forsake you Even when your brethren forsake you. The love of the church is super important for the Christian life. I, I cannot begin to explain how important it is to have the love of Christians. But the love of Christ is greater. The love of Christ is greater. And he does not forsake his people. And you know, as someone who's trying to preach the scriptures, preach the word, I have no choice but to say that. I'm trying to provoke you. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm trying to provoke you to understand how deeply. Let me tell you what I'm saying. I'm saying, if you pointed me to someone who was trusted in Christ, who you despised because he had some, done something so wicked, and you said, no, I, I, would have, I, I have nothing to do with that person. I actually think Christians can do that. Things happen in life. It's strange. But I have to say to you, you might forsake him and maybe rightly so, you might forsake her, and maybe rightly so, but Jesus will not forsake his own. Not when the whole world is ashamed of him. Christ will never be ashamed of his people. And God comforts his people. God knows how to sit with Joseph in prison. At that point in time, when his hopes for getting out have been dashed. And sometimes in your life, your hopes have been dashed. Like things have really gone down. You've really been brokenhearted. You're really let down. You're really in pain. And all I know this morning is that God knows how to comfort you. I I know you might not even see it yourself. You might think, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. I don't know how I'm going to smile again. I don't know how I'm going to hope. But I know, Paul says, God is the God of all comfort. That means there's just no place, nothing we go through in our life where God is not able to comfort us. Let me say this one thing because Paul says the same. Paul says that he believes he went through those sufferings so that he might experience the unique comfort of God and then be a comfort for others. And maybe one of the reasons why God strips Joseph of the hope that he might have in man and puts Joseph in a position where his only comfort comes from believing in God is so that Joseph can be strengthened to comfort others. And one of the reasons why God makes you go through the things you go through and why you go through these phases where your only comfort is in the invisible is so that you might find strength to speak words of life to someone else. And God will comfort you through this it's like a, It's almost like... It's like training. It's like a school so that you may become equipped to say the right words to another Christian. So that you may become equipped to lift another person's head. Have you ever tried to... I, 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 I experience this as a pastor a lot. Some people come to me... Someone comes to me and tells me something they're going through. I'm a pastor. I want to say something to encourage them. So I, I do say something to encourage them. But maybe somehow... In that short space of time, I get to see someone else say something to them. And when that someone else is saying something to them, that person's words is hitting far more than mine. That person's words are far more profound, far more precise. They get it more. And I, and I, and I, and I, and I wonder why, but now I often know the answer. Because that person has had to experience the comfort of God in a particular season of life and in a way that even myself as a minister, I've never had to. So they know something about how God supplies strength in that season and they're able to give it to other believers. This is why God strips us very often of the other things that we place confidence in and helps us to understand how he comforts his people so that we can do well for the souls of other Christians. You know how well you might be called to do for the soul of other Christians. When God puts you in a place, let me say this quickly, God puts you in a place with another Christian and they just see that you get it. When God puts you in a place with another Christian and they see that you've been there. When God puts you in a place with another Christian and they see that Jesus got you through. So they don't have to believe the lies of Satan that Jesus can't deliver them. This is the beauty of what God does for his people. It's the beauty of why we must cling to God in our trying seasons. God comforts his people. He never never leaves his people. He doesn't forsake them. Um... There's a gospel. Donnie, you got, some of you know Donnie McClurkin. Donnie McClurkin has a gospel song. It's called All I Ever Really Wanted. And he has a line in it. It says, uh, there were times I didn't know what to do, times I didn't know what to think of you. He says, I turned around. When I turned around, I turned and found you were there all the time. And this is God's, the, ch- the hope of God's children. No matter what we face in this life, God never forsakes us. Even when it doesn't feel like He's close. Even when he doesn't feel like he's there, very often it takes like periods afterwards for us to look back and say, He was right there all the time. He was lifting me while I was weeping. He was he was carrying me while I thought my I was brokenhearted. He was raising my hands while they were hanging low. He was there all the time. God will never forsake us, not now, not ever. God will never forsake you when others forsake you. God will never forsake you when you are the cause of the mess in which you find yourself. God will never forsake you when you deserve to be forsaken. God will just never forsake his people. He'll never forsake you. My Jesus will never forsake me. He will always be with me when I call. He he will always be there. He has given me his Holy Spirit. I will always be able to find comfort in the love of Jesus for me always and so even in my worst trials I will hope in God I'll praise him again who is my hope and my salvation amen